Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and the parent of two young adults, one of which is on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. everyone and welcome. This is Elia with the Spectrum Strategy Group and I welcome you all today. Um, today I'm excited to have Krista Hoppala with us and you know as as usual um, this is not someone I found random on the internet. <laughs> um, I have uh, been friends with Krista since 2012 and by happenstance we met while on vacation. Um, and it's been eight years, almost nine years of really uh, fun friendship and just learning because we kind of have some parallel um, work that we do. And I think, uh, you know, Krista um, has been in private practice since 2005, and she helps folks find fulfillment in life and relationship. And um, so I, I really thought, given some of the recent podcasts and relationship conversations I've been having, I thought that it would be great to bring Krista on board. So welcome, Krista. Thanks, Ilya. I'm so excited to be on your show. This is awesome. Yay. And I'm glad we found a way that we could work together. So um, I know we've been talking about that for a long time. I completely agree. I think that that's so fun. It adds such a fantastic facet to to our relationship. So much more to chat about and connect over. So it's such good stuff. And I feel like when we get on a, get on a roll, um, there's a lot to say. <laughs> yes, definitely. So um, if you could just for the audience, give a little bit more background. I know I kind of did a little high level thing yeah. there, but yeah. So if people kind of know your perspective and where you're coming from. Absolutely. Happy to. So I'm Krista Hoppala. I have, as Ilya mentioned, been in private practice since 2005. I I have a master's degree in social work from the Boston College Graduate School of Social Work for for whom I taught for some years and also have postgraduate training in human sexuality as a sex educator and a clinical sexologist. So my if there were official titles, I tend to use the phrases of consciousness guide and also sexologist and sexology. The work that I do is holistic. And so when I am working with clients, we start with the very basics. And by that, I mean breath, water, sleep, food, <laughs> and movement. <laughs> we literally start with the absolute basics um, because it is all connected to how we relate to others. And so I also have that advanced training in sexology. So when clients come to me with concerns, questions, explorations about 
relationships or very specialized questions about their particular orientation or, or sexuality experience that I'm able to um, be present for them in that as well. So some of the clients that I see are very much focused on relationship design or um, relationship dynamics. And some clients that I see are focused on just making their life more awesome. <laughs> and, and so I will preface this by saying I've actually done work with you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so because you have, aside from, I think, I know you, you have done traditional style therapy or That's what right. most people are you know, familiar with. And, and you kind of blend it, which I think is one of the things that we connected on is this blend of so many different aspects of just being human and being Mm -hmm. on this planet. Um, but I really like how you said, I start with like the basics of like food, water, sleep. Um, for many of the folks that I work with Mm -hmm. that just those pieces alone, I don't think it's just unique to the autistic population, but, uh, those just those basics can be super, super hard. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I love that you start there. Yes, yes. Well, I I love that I start there too, <laughs> <laughs> because I really find that um, one of the things that is, as they say, the blessing and the curse of the therapeutic world is um, a lot of the therapeutic world is very much... Um, divided into lanes or modalities. And I've described my practice as eclectic. Uh, I draw from lots of different therapeutic modalities as well as energy work and shamanic path work. And I meld all of those pieces into a unique experience for each client or each relationship. And I really tune into that when I'm working with my clients. And what's interesting about these modalities and these lanes is oftentimes that kind of therapy, if you need something beyond that, then then you need to seek that out outside of your therapeutic experience. And that's the reason that I have always had a holistic experience because Sure, we can talk about these really fantastic modalities that can be complex and make a huge difference. And yet at the same time, if we're not tending to ourselves with with respect, then nothing else seems to align. And so really taking it back to the basics before we even get into those higher level therapeutic modalities is important and really is is very clearly based in the wisdom of uh, many, many indigenous cultures around the world that we start with, how are you honoring your, as I often say, your meat suit, your biological mm. body, and that impacts the energy that you bring to your life. So if you're having issues in relationship, you know, let's start with those basics and see if there's anything that can be tuned up there before we dive into the deeper complexities around relational dynamics and such. But I do agree with you, Ilya, that even those, as you said, basics, even those holistic tending to self can be challenging because we do live in a culture that moves really fast and doesn't tend to honor the time we need to take to make sure that we can tend to ourselves with, with that greatest care. 
And, you know, it's interesting because it's funny, the, the pieces that you mentioned, because in the, um, the yoga training that I just completed, we, uh-huh. we talk about the basics of mindful yoga therapy, which is for people who have experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. It, the basics for that are breath, mindful movement, um, yep. meditation and gratitude, right? So, mm. so we have those four pieces and then, and, you know, it fits right into the same. So, so I love that you're bringing in all, and, and I talk about this all the time, bringing all of the different experiences, a variety of cultures, of a, a variety of background mm-hmm. uh, and pulling those tools together to give people options and yeah. to help them find what resonates with them, mm-hmm. with them. And so, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of, the conversations I've had in the past, um, you know, when we talk about relationship or when we talk about connecting with people or, or any sort of communication, you know, the biggest thing that comes up is this piece about self-awareness and building this, um, this authenticity in self so that then you can kind of bring that to others. And I don't know if I'm saying that in the right way, but that's just sort of how it's coming out for me right mm-hmm, now. Sure. Um, so so can you, I, I know I've kind of worked with you um, through some of the programming that you have mm-hmm. and the structure, uh, but can you, you know, elaborate on how you, what kind of thinking you bring to that type of, sure. um, that type of work? Sure, sure. So that particular, so some of the work that I do, it looks more traditional in the sense of I see clients every week or biweekly and we move through um, whatever it is in that eclectic mix that is working for them. And then I work with some clients that dip a toe in, if you will, or or come in for a mini retreat. So usually it's four, four or six sessions. And one of those programs is called Pleasure Principles, which is what we were, I was grateful that we were able to share together. And Pleasure Principles is really based in this concept that I share with folks called the pleasure mindset. And pleasure often can be described as, you know, whether whether we see it this way or not, trivial or frivolous, that, you know, we take our pleasure after we get the work done. And what I offer is pleasure, not just the superficial pleasure of, I can't wait to eat this cookie, nom, 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 it's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the, the deeper pleasure of that authenticity, Ilya, that what is it that I, I, I truly want in my core, in my capital S self, um, in my centered self, and what feeds me, what sustains me or fuels me in sharing my my unique gifts with the world. And oftentimes, because we live in a pleasure-averse culture, we only have pleasure after we've expended all of this energy working and somehow being productive out in the world. And and the pleasure mindset is about being consistent and present with the practice of being as authentic as you can in your capital S self of what does maximize or bring you the greatest pleasure. And the example I use in that is um, often is if you're sitting in a meeting, for example, and the chair you're in is really uncomfortable and you may be in a room of, you know, 10, 20 people um, when, when we can do that (laughs) and, (laughs) and the chair is uncomfortable and it takes energy. We expend energy 
to do our best to sit and be polite in an uncomfortable chair when, in fact, we might avail ourselves of some other options, um, trying to find a different chair, choosing to stand instead of sit at the table, whatever it is, then, then we're expending less energy to just sustain our presence there and we're being we're being authentic we're we're honoring our pleasure and the energy that we didn't have to expend we get to reinvest in ourselves or share with the world so this idea of enduring something that isn't resonant or aligned with what feels right for you in that moment is it's it's really a gift to everyone around you because then you're inviting everyone else into their authenticity as well. That there is, there's a permission granting in you being true to what you need in every moment in that way. Oh, wow. You know, I just want to, I want to pause here because um, I think a lot of families that might be listening in and also Mm -hmm. those who have autism specifically um, themselves are listening to this saying, wow, I've been, I've been in that uncomfortable chair. Mm, I've had okay. to be in, 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 you know, social situations, whether they're work or school or, you know, family events, whatever, where I've had to endure. And for whatever reasons, anxiety, sensory sensitivities, yep. you know, all these different things that come into play and the amount of energy that gets expended just in being able to I'll put it in quotes, attend, sure, <laughs> because you might not really be attending, right? But, yeah. but, and you're not really present because sure. you're so worried about all of the other things. And, you know, maybe we haven't learned the tools to be able to self-advocate for sure. what it is that we need to do to stand up, to walk around maybe during that meeting and what have you. I think we're getting better at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're getting mm-hmm. better at allowing for that and, and using it um, in education. So for example, setting up uh, plans for students where they can have that ability, but we haven't really allowed it for all people. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that, that it, we're getting there, but it's, yes. still take, it's, it's taking time. And I think having this pleasure mindset um, is, can really be helpful with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's, there's a support that you can give yourself, I find, around that self-advocacy that actually starts with even the exploration of what do I want? Mm-hmm. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of complexity, you know, as Ferris Bueller said, life moves pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just saw that the other day. It was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it, right? Yes. So, yeah. so, you know, if we're going to listen to Ferris, then we go to this space of like, okay, I'm going to stop and look around, but I'm going to look inward. And I'm going to learn myself and recognize that we are in a constant state of evolution. And so learning oneself happens every single day. And to get comfortable and skilled at assessing what do I want in this moment, asking that with consistency and presence, which you'll hear me say often, um, with consistency and presence to that exploration you start to learn what it is that preserves that. I call them energetic leaks. You know, mm. being in a space where you're having to um, 
to adapt in some way, first of all, that's an awesome strength and asset to be adaptable. And yet at the same time, to be adaptable to the extent that you're compromising self, mm, let's let's walk that back mm-hmm. a bit. And mm-hmm. so I, I offer that when we know what it is that puts us in this flow state or pleasure, you know, the pleasure mindset aspect of when I tune in and align, I can flow. Um, when we are in that, we have to know what it is. And so the first step is really having to tune in and ask ourselves, what is it that I want? What is it that sets me up for success? And the more we do that, again, with consistency and presence, the more we can be proactive in those circumstances. So I might walk into that room that we were just talking about and see there are different kinds of chairs and choose a chair that I know works for me because this kind of chair is uncomfortable for me. So I can start by being proactive and not necessarily having to rock any sort of boat with my advocacy of self by getting up in the middle of a meeting because the chair is uncomfortable. I could choose the chair that works for me best or choose um, the spot in the room or the spot at the table I can hear best or um, choose the spot that's nearest the door because I know I might want to get up and take a break at some point. So I feel like once we are able to tune in and know that's that's what we need, then we can put ourselves in the position of being proactive with our choices within that pleasure mindset rather than noticing on um, as we're into the circumstance or the, the experience mm-hmm. that now I'm experiencing some discomfort or I'm experience, experiencing some challenge trying to hear. Um, and now I have to make a move. Now I have to advocate for myself when um, it may disrupt other people, which by the way, I think is perfectly appropriate when we're doing it within our you know centered self. We're not doing it in a way to be disruptive on purpose. We're just right. we're just doing self-advocacy by all means. And again, that becomes the permission granting for everyone else around us to say, hey, I'm here in my pleasure and my ease. I invite you to do the same. And we're inviting other people around us to do the same by simply doing that self-advocacy. It's sort of, it's modeling, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Absolutely. I would say it's modeling. Yeah. yeah. And, and in this self-exploration, I know there's so many ways to do that. Uh, and there, you know, I'm a big advocate of, you know, therapy. I, I have, you know, everyone knows I've been in therapy for like over 20 years yep, and it's been yep. an amazing journey. Yeah. Uh, and, and in my own search, I, I too had to find someone who I connected with and who was open to what I was going to be talking about. And it took mm-hmm. a little time. And in fact, I just had my session yesterday mm-hmm. and we were talking, she said she was um, honored to work with me. And mm-hmm. I, I never, you know, it's very hard to find someone who would say that to you because our conversations have gotten so deep and we've moved through so many layers. And I said, sure. well, no, if you, you didn't allow, if you hadn't allowed that space for me to be able to do that, mm-hmm. right, we wouldn't, we yeah. wouldn't have gotten there. And we've, I've had a few other guests who have said the same thing, that they have found these therapists who've been able to allow for that space and who brought their own experience into the, into the work. And, mm-hmm. um, so with, you know, having worked with you and then I could also work with my therapist, it's been yeah. a really great like balance for me. Mm-hmm. And, 
And I think it's because you, I, and I know I've, I said this to you, uh-huh. the work that you do felt like a little widget, right? And not uh-huh. even a little one. Uh-huh. I'm going to say it's a big widget, but okay. <laughs> it's sort of like this add on to my yeah. other work that helped kind of bring some structure mm-hmm. and some, uh, like an outline, yeah. <laughs> so to speak. And, and so it was sort of this enhancer that helped me see things in a different lens. And, um, you know, if, if you, if you're okay with it, I'd really love for you to talk about sort of how you would break that self-exploration down, mm-hmm. um, so that way, you know, our, our listeners can kind of think about, oh, wow, that, that is, that could be a way that maybe could work for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, I'm grateful to hear that it's a big widget because that (laughs) makes me so happy. There's nothing that I um, get more pleasure out of than, you know, hearing other people experiencing more pleasure. I feel like that is such a, a gift and creates so much more expansiveness and just a little spaciousness emotionally in our lives when we are nurtured and fortified by that pleasure. So that's awesome. And, it, you know, pleasure principles, there. It I draw from a lot of different teachers and a lot of different um, traditions. As I mentioned, um, that, that eclectic nature, it, you know, is in pleasure principles as well. And the, the basic framework of pleasure principles and the self-examination and self-exploration that we do is a gifted was gifted to me, if you will, by a a mentor of mine, Gina Ogden. Gina Ogden has since passed. Um, She was a teacher of mine and has written many books on um, particularly female desire and female relating. Um, And that framework she initially used in allowing these women to explore how they want to connect in relationship. And so with that being said, that framework works so beautifully in my work with all genders around what it is that um, nurtures us and feeds us in relationship that it seemed to make sense to certainly extrapolate that to just how we live our own fulfilled life um, in relationship with self. And that she called the the 4D wheel, so four dimensions. And it's it's really simple. And yet at the same time, when we really use it as that outline or that framework, it gives us the ability to tune in a little bit better than just examining self as a whole. And so those four dimensions of self are, um, we start with the cognitive. So, you know, head-based thinking, the mind, um, that's, that's the first step. The second step is the emotional, the heart center. Um, the third is tending to our physical vessel, or as I say, our meat suit. And <laughs> finally, the fourth dimension is um, energy or spirituality. I tend to use the word energy because spirituality can have its own scaffolding. So when I speak sure. of energy, it's more about tuning into those senses that we know that we have that aren't privileged in our culture um, because we live in a very cognitively privileged culture in the sense of 
you know, you got to prove it. You need facts. You need to, you know, it's rigid, linear. This is how we make decisions. And I'm not discounting that, but I am saying that when we look at those four dimensions of cognitive, emotional, physical, and energetic, that the best way that the best practice for tuning into self is to have a balance of all four. And so if we're thinking, we can't think our way out of an emotional issue and we can't (laughs) ignore, um, the, the dissonance or static we feel in these senses that we can't quite put our finger on energetically. We just feel off, And we don't have a a cognitive or factual reason to make a choice, but we listen to that as we say intuition and make a choice. And so when we can be as balanced as we can be among tuning into all four of those dimensions of self, then we're going to encounter more aligned and resonant information because we're, we're tuning into all parts of self. Yeah. I, and, and it, again, you're right. It, it sounds simple, Uh, but these are, and they totally make sense. I used to create like this wheel and it would have all of these different pieces on it. And then I would have, and I didn't realize that's actually what I was doing. Um, but then, but then I had another piece that would be, um, creativity and, and, but when I went now having worked with you and, you know, it's, it's years later, I would say the creativity that I need um, is kind of fits into all four of these buckets. Um, so, so it's really more, it was more of a tool, uh, than, than like a bucket in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so can you give examples of, you know, as I think about this cognitive, especially when we're, we are in this culture of, if I can't see it and you can't prove it, (laughs) I'm not quite sure it's actually there. Um, and, you know, and also I know the part of the country and the world that you and I live in is, right. you know, very intellectual and is, right. there's this very huge emphasis on higher education. And so, and that's not, that's not reflective of the rest of the world. So right. um, how do we, how would we go about like, just like even lightly, cause I know this, this can be like, you know, many, many months of work. Sure. Um, what would we, what could we just start thinking about as far as each one of these pieces so we can kind of get a little taste of what mm-hmm. that kind of work would look like? Sure, sure. Well, the first piece about it is I absolutely love, Ilya, that you, you know, created a wheel because that is traditionally the way that Gina invited us into that work was to literally have the wheel on the floor. Um, so, you know, almost, um, like a medicine wheel sort of model mm. from, you know, the shamanic world or indigenous cultures um, with these four dimensions. And so we would physically move our body from place to place. Um, certainly telehealth makes those things <laughs> a little bit different. Um, yeah. But what I would first offer is the language I use with clients is um, I'll ask, you know, where do you think you live? Like where of those four, where do you feel the most comfortable? And one question for assessment of that that I I will often use is, you know, when you are tending to a problem, when you are trying to create a solution, how do you how do you create that solution first? Do you feel into it? Do you go for the instructions and find, um, you know, a concrete cognitive solution? Do you um, just sense it? 
and just follow your gut, follow your intuition? Or do you physically get up and make moves? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so, you know, oftentimes when people sit back and really think about it, it's a pretty obvious answer because most of us are pretty heavily weighted in one of those. And typically mm-hmm. speaking, it's typically, I would, well, this isn't scientifically based. So here I am with the <laughs> cognitive and the intellectual, but in my experience, in my practice, the cognitive and emotional tend to be where most people live, one or the other. And people who live in the physical are people who, you know, if you have an emotional experience, you've got to go out for a run or, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to, you got to get to your boxing ring or you need to, you know, if, if, if you are a, a person who lives in the physical, then that's your first go-to for processing. Um, if you live in the energetic, um, which is a little more rare, you might find yourself as that person who is, who kind of knows things or senses things on a regular basis. And because you trust it, because you live in that dimension, if you will, um, other people will be like, how did you know that? What? And so those two are a little bit more rare, but that's not to say that, you know, if someone is listening, that if you feel that you live in that dimension, then you you likely do. <laughs> so there's a self-assessment there that's not a checklist. It's just a noticing. And so when you notice that, you can also notice the imbalance. You can notice where you don't like to live. Um, Mm -hmm. For example, a lot of people, if you're a cognitive person and you're like, hey, let's just create a solution. Here we go. We're going to make a spreadsheet and we're going to create (laughs) steps. And and you're working with a person who lives in the emotional and they're saying, you know, I don't really feel like that's the path. I'm feeling like we need to sit and listen to what everyone, you know, is feeling (laughs) about this process. You can see how when we live in different dimensions, it creates a translation issue. Um, And we can honor all of those. And the more we can tap into noticing where we don't want to live and developing those skills so we can create a balance among all four of those dimensions, then we find we don't need to work as hard to translate to have connection or relationship with someone who, quote unquote, lives in one of the other Mm -hmm. dimensions. So I, I feel like there's just that self-exploration and noticing, Ilya. And I will say, this is where, when I say to my clients, you are the expert in your life. I am not the expert in your life. It's it's more important that your self-assessment feels aligned with you than for me to tell you where I think you live, if you will, in those four dimensions. Right. No, that 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 totally makes sense. And I, I chuckle as you were giving some examples, because uh-huh. I find I, I am, I think, the cognitive side where I will start creating a list and let's, yep. you know, start breaking down the problem. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, but I have I have lived in all of these areas. Right. Mm-hmm. I've lived in the physical where sometimes if I'm super uh, I'm super activated and I, I really can't control uh, of the problem. <laughs> um, you know, basically it's not up to me. I can't make that list to fix something. Yep. I will kind of tend to go to the physical and mostly it's cleaning, right? I'll start oh, cleaning sure. and putting yep. things away. At least I yep. can make my, um, 
the, my surroundings seem right. like I'm in control, even right. though I'm, I'm not. Right. Um, and the emotional piece, yeah, I, I can also be that facilitative one who's like, mm-hmm. let's listen to everyone before we kind of make those decisions. So I think it's, uh, it, it's I, for me at least, I know it depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's interesting with the energetic and, and anyone listening in, I know I've talked a little bit, there, there is this, um, this myth uh, that people who have autism um, lack empathy. And mm-hmm. we, we know that this is not true. Right. What, what, what is true is that it might be hard for it to be expressed in a way that other people may understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, uh, many uh, folks with autism are in fact hypersensitive mm-hmm. to the energy around them and to other people's emotions and to the vibes, so to speak. I don't yep. even know how else to say that. Absolutely. Um, but I think it's it's met with um, it's it's met with not being valued as mm-hmm. as real or as accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of people tend to get put off because they're like, well, what I'm feeling, it might, it is probably not accurate, right? Like mm-hmm. they start to doubt themselves right? or they just keep quiet because, yep. you know, oh, people are going to think I'm weird or, you know, I, I don't know how to, I don't have the words or the language to express the, the feeling that I'm having mm-hmm. and the vibe that I'm having. Right. Um, I, I'm going to use vibe to kind of separate it out from the emotional, yep, which would be a feeling thing. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I really think I, I'm curious that if people who are listening in were to do that, you know, that self-assessment of where mm-hmm. they tend to go first, if that might be, a, might be a thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just was thinking about that as you were saying it. Hi, this is Elia. Just wanted to let you know that SSG also offers trainings, consultations, and parent coaching. Uh, check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and I'd love to hear from you. I love that consideration, and I feel as though that that again, that overprivileging in our culture of the cognitive really by nature diminishes the value of the other. Um, Mm -hmm. So it diminishes the value of the emotional or of the physical or of, like you said, the energetic, the vibe space. And when we find ourselves in that position, especially if we live in one of those other you know, quadrants or dimensions, if you will, that isn't the cognitive, we can find ourselves having to be, be pushed into translating what we're, <laughs> what, what is, ex- what we're experiencing into the cognitive, um, yeah. Yeah. or, it was or just, into yeah. the emotional. And right. so, yeah, so I go to that space of, you know, I flip the script on this where I think how much information and whiz inner wisdom are we missing out on because we overprivilege the cognitive as our source of, of wisdom? And, and sure, it's the source of facts. Science is real, absolutely. And it's also real to have a feeling in your body, whether it's energetic or something you feel physically, to turn left instead of right, to 
listen to that because that is intuition coming from somewhere for some reason that may take you on a different path that may keep you safe. It may Mm. lead you to bumping into someone on the street who's going to give you a job. We don't know. We can't measure those things. So, you know, I was, I, um, one of my, my, fun phrases that I've been using lately is magic is science we just can't measure yet. And so if we go (laughs) into that place of, okay, I'm going to gather myself to be and, 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 um, invite myself into being as balanced as I can amidst these four dimensions of experience and not leave out the wisdom of, of, like you said, these, these, feelings, these sensitivities, these noticings that, um, you know, someone who's autistic may have more access to. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's an important flipping of the script. If we build in the value to all four of these dimensions as important to our existence and informative to our path, then we can stand a little bit taller and stronger in our confidence and our knowing of self in saying, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take this path. I'm going to make this decision because it feels right emotionally or because in my body, it feels resonant. And someone who lives in the cognitive might say, well, where are your facts? Where's your flow chart? Where's, you know, (laughs) and, and, and you have every right to say, I don't need that because I'm making this decision from a different dimension, from a different vantage. And that is, you had mentioned earlier, Ilya, about that trusting of self. It takes practice. It takes practice when we are not um, sanctioned by, you know, (laughs) that cognitive choice that it takes practice to stand in that confidence to say, yeah, I'm still going to make this decision, even if it doesn't necessarily align with the facts. Right. And then that, that, that kind of just plays right into that same, you know, self-awareness, self-acceptance, and then self-advocacy. And, and I kind of feel that this is where it gets pulled into this life design piece. Yeah. Um, I actually uh, interviewed uh, Becca Laurie Hector, who, you know, when you have a minute, you should maybe yeah. listen to that one. Um, and she talks about designing your life. Mm-hmm. And and she has some similarities here, but it but but it has a different you know a very other type of structured um, approach. Uh, but I really like bringing this. So how, how you know when you talk about life design? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess I, I'm saying it from a place of I think I like I kind of already know because we've talked about that sure. kind of stuff before. Um, but but what do you mean by that? So that our audience can kind of get a sense because I think sometimes we feel like we're just being pulled by life right <laughs> maybe oh, sure. right now but yes <laughs> yep yeah absolutely I well life design I it's interesting because life design and relationship design very much go hand in hand in my practice and and yet I feel like there is that different facet of of relationship design but it's still based in like individual life design. So I just want to mention that, that I feel like those two processes um, go hand in hand in the sense that when I say relationship, of course there's life partners, but there's also just friendships. There's, there's, Mm 
all different kinds of relationships. And so I feel like when we talk about life design, we start with, you know, the, the, the self um, as the, the center of the circle and then move out in sort of concentric circles out. So it's all interconnected is, is a point that I want to make before I dive into this <laughs> idea of life design. And what I would say life design can tend to be, again, back to this more rigid, linear, cognitive, you know, get a routine, get it down, don't deviate. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, there's power in the routine. And I don't deny there's power in routine if it's aligned and resonant with what, what, um, brings you energy, what helps you feel fulfilled. And yet at the same time, we are in constant evolution. And so there's an element of life design that I use in my practice, which is if we're constantly evolving, then we need to be constantly, and you've heard it me say it before, mm -hmm. with consistency and presence, we need to tune into what is what is bringing us the result we're seeking and what is not and being very playful and light on our feet around um, not, not clinging to the routine as um, savior um, mm. that there's an element of life design in this case, when we're, in, you know, employing the pleasure mindset where we might all of a sudden one day, um, find, for example, that if you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is grab a cup of coffee and that cup of coffee, you know, propels you through your day and you love the ritual of it and all these things. And then you might hit a day where, and, and I'm, this is an example from my <laughs> life, um, you might hit a day where you're like, I don't feel so great after I drink my coffee. I'm, I'm like really jittery. I'm going to switch to decaf. And then even when I switch to decaf, that's uncomfortable in my body. So all of a sudden I find myself sitting here drinking hot lemon water. And if you would have asked me three months ago, I would have told you, I don't like the taste of lemon, <laughs> but I went exploring and decided that this was something I wanted to give a try. And it's so much more aligned and resonant in my body. But if I would have stayed with my routine without examination, I'd still be drinking coffee and not feeling so great. So if I hadn't followed my pleasure to say, Ooh, I feel a, a discomfort in my body when I, or, or in my emotion, I'm feeling um, higher anxiety than I would normally be feeling. So therefore, taking caffeine out of the mix is important. But that wasn't just the caffeine, it was the coffee. And so all of that came from experience. And there's a, there's a um, concept that I use that's based in shamanic practices called radical discontinuity. And mm -hmm. radical discontinuity is simply the idea of taking a different path every single day. So it's it's it could be perceived as the opposite of routine. But what I see it as a complement to routine in that there are some pieces of my experience, some facets of my experience like my if you will, morning warm beverage <laughs> that that really centers me, that that really launches me into the day. And yet I allowed myself the radical discontinuity of exploring something else to see what is more resonant. And we can we can extrapolate that. We can, you know, use that experience in 
any of our choices. Um, you know, when you might choose to move your body throughout the day. Um, you know, some of us have different circadian rhythms. And so we need to sleep later and work later into the night. Um, some of us, we don't like reading um a paper book. So we, it works better for us to read a reader, to read a, a tablet and not placing any judgment or shoulds on how it quote unquote should look. That's that external locus of control that we're not centered in self and making choices from self. We're making choices by what the optics may be or what the prevailing culture decides is important. And that's not going to align us with the life design that works best for us. So there, there's an element of exploration. There's an element of choiceful routine. And then there's an mm. element of shaking the snow globe and seeing where, <laughs> where the snowflakes land and, and, and going forth in that. Lastly, again, consistency and presence with the examination that it's not like, whoo, I finally made it. I finally have the perfect routine because tomorrow <laughs> something could happen. And the more adaptable and resilient you can be to, you know, change it up and find pleasure in the exact choice you're making to change it up because you've already tuned into knowing what works for you. So I've said a lot there, but that's what <laughs> life design looks like. And, you know, I wish sometimes I could provide you know, that outline or, you know, that very clear cognitive instruction or that very clear emotional instruction. And I always come back to, and yet every single person is a separate universe and is the expert in their life. And that's not for me to decide. That's not for culture to decide. Yeah. And I think you hit on another, I mean, you hit on a lot and I, I mm -hmm. feel like, um, I think most of us, and especially, and uh, you know, I guess I'm probably generalizing here, but as we as we work in special education, I, I'm thinking about this now, right? We mm -hmm. we create these plans and these goals for students um, and young adults to you know to create their life, but it it is sort of based on this premise of what society thinks life and relationship should look like. Sure. Um, right. And so so yep. we're kind of in some ways, especially with the folks that I work with, um, they're already living a different type of life. They've, sure. they've been different since they were born. And for for people to impose this, you know, what society thinks is a typical life design. Right. You know, go to mm -hmm. school. Maybe you go to college or maybe you learn a, a trade or a skill and then you get mm -hmm. a job and then, you know, you find a partner and then, you know, you, you get married and then you have kids like there's this this kind of it's its own ritual. Yeah. And I really love this, you know, radical discontinuity because it calls all of that into question, which I think our folks, our young adults are doing and oh, they're yeah. talking about it. And I really love that. It's bringing, uh, it's shaking the snow globe. It really yeah. is. Yeah. And, and the rest of us have to deal. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's so true. You know, because they're, they're kind of trying to navigate. I mean, and again, this is all coming just from my gut and from sure. experience with having two young adults as children yeah. and also who the people I work with. But there's the, the snow globe is shaking and yep. we're just trying to kind of navigate around that. Um, yep. And they're kind of, you know, 
they're, I, I was going to say they're okay with it, but yeah. it, it, it's, there's still some fear, of course. Sure. Um, but that's that, I think that's the exploration piece that you're talking yep. about, right? Is like navigating yep. between the snowflakes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love that idea that, you know, I certainly feel it if I can call upon the experiences that I've had being invited behind the curtain of a lot of relationships that my younger clients are calling into question a lot of that um, what I deem the relationship escalator. They, they're they really calling into question what it looks like to become partnered with someone. And then all of a sudden, everyone's asking you when you're going to get married. And then when you're <laughs> married, all of a sudden, everyone's asking you when you're going to have babies. And they're really calling into question this relationship escalator and really designing their relationships to be um, mutually beneficial in a way that earlier marriage never was. And I, that's a whole different podcast. But with that being yeah. said, <laughs> um, what I will offer, I love in radical discontinuity and that idea, and I employ this in my own life and I invite my clients into it, is to just just be the experiment. Just give it a try. See what happens. And I feel like the ability to do that is 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 foundation there's a foundation to it and it's bolstered by our confidence that we can tune into ourselves and really get at least an answer that feels aligned within. And so it takes a lot of practice. I use that word intentionally, um, not as practice makes perfect, but practice, you will always be in this practice. You, there's not an end point to the practice because we are always evolving. There's not a, there's not a terminus to human experience um in 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 the way of evolution that you know we're we're aging we are learning new things new people are coming into our lives we're we're um noticing different stimuli from the environment we all of those pieces and and beyond factor into this constant evolution and it's really that self-exploration paired with the self-love or self-worship that gives us that confidence to to do those things, um, those radical discontinuity things, because it takes us out of our norm. It takes it takes um, it takes motivation to know that what is going to happen on the other side of this experiment may not be aligned, and that's okay. Now you've right. learned that that doesn't work. And and so there's an element of be the experiment and radical discontinuity that is inherently risky. But you get to decide what what level of risk you're taking on and and it can be as simple as coffee and versus lemon water. <laughs> <laughs> and and yet those practices when we notice how aligned we stay with our pleasure and, you know, our, again, not our superficial pleasure, but our sustenant pleasure that, wow, it just feels, I feel so much better in my body when I make those choices that are aligned. And yet this has been something that's been part of my practice for a very long time. So what I will offer is folks who might be trying this on for size for the first time, it, it, 
I encourage you to be patient with the mm. initial experiences because it will feel uncomfortable because it is pushing your edge. It is expanding um, your your realm of existence. And I can appreciate that, um, you know, if you are a person who does have to expend extra energy to be comfortable in your environment and thrive in your environment anyway, that taking this next step can feel um, like, mm, do I really want to take that on? And what I offer is with practice, the skill becomes very intuitive and ingrained in the day-to-day and it just becomes another tool. Um, so it, it's, it, it, even though it is life design, it really ultimately is taking it to that level of just creating another, for example, like you said, a widget, you know, creating that other tool for yourself to um, integrate into what is already um, a strength or an asset or is working for you. Um, but there needs to be some discomfort to arrive at that. And so everyone can make their own choices for how much they want to expend that energy to, to shake the snow globe. Um, but again, there can be a lot of dividends from just simple choices because all along you're learning yourself. Yeah. And I think those, those more subtle choices, for example, coffee versus lemon water, right. Does build up that skill. So it's, it is the scaffolding that's needed to make those other types of more challenging choices. I know you talk about, you you even mentioned it. I was going to ask you about, you talk about finding your edge and kind of pinging up against that and, and testing what it might be like to maybe step over that, um, and, and kind of play. And I love that you use the word exploration and play and Mm -hmm. that none of, none of this is, um, it, it, none of it is, is final, right? Like, so so like you said, like you, you can play with something and test something out, explore something. And if it doesn't work, just, okay, that's, that wasn't for me or that's not, now I've learned that that's not something that, um, that fits into or or maybe just not right now. And I can, I can maybe revisit in the future and that we're not, once we've, once we've picked, uh, something to try Mm -hmm. that we're not, committed to it. <laughs> right. We're not committed to it forever, right? right? Like maybe we commit to a program or we commit to, you know, some educational thing or something, or we're gonna say, yeah. you know, we're gonna we're gonna do this for, I don't know, 30 days, like whatever. Um yeah. but just that doesn't it ha- doesn't have to be. And if it feels super uncomfortable, you can stop. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that is the sovereignty that is so important in this process is there aren't any shoulds. The, mm. This isn't a you must, you should, you will from an external um, locus of control. This is from within. And so there's a lot of empowerment that can come from just noticing what you just shared, Ilya. And I think that's the important part is the more that you practice it, the more you notice your power and the more you feel like if you do wander into an ex, you know, an experiment that's going awry, then you say, eh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm all good. Like, you know, I, <laughs> whatever it is, like I might try some new sport or I might try some new dish that I cook and I go, wow, I just, you know, as many times as I, you know, try to eat this food, 
it's just not working for me. And so we can know, we can be as open to that as we want. Um, but I do agree that that lightness, that playfulness, that, that, um, light on your feet feeling of like, ah, easy come, easy go. That can bring (laughs) a lot of, um, really just fantastic fuel to uh, that life force. And, and yes, none of this needs to feel like if I made this choice, even if you make a commitment to something for 30 days and you've had enough, you've gathered enough data (laughs) over 15 (laughs) to say, you know what, this isn't for me, then empower yourself to make that change. Um, Don't, don't shy away from it because the change is uncomfortable. But if you've learned and are resonant and aligned with the fact that what you're doing isn't working for you, then by all means, use your power and change it up. So I'm really grateful you said that, Ilya, because this is in no way a prescription. It's it's Mm -hmm. all meant to be light, playful, and experimental. Yeah. And I think this this kind of... um, brings us around to, you know, having the permission to explore and, and changing. I, I like how you say flip the script. Uh, also, yeah. I, I think about, you know, we are unlearning a lot yes. of learned behaviors and, and implementing new tools and new strategies that yeah. that will serve us, you know, now. And, yeah. and, and, and that does take work. And, and I know just from personal experience working with you and other mm-hmm. therapists that it, it, it can be an energy suck. And, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but, but the flip side is exactly what you said, um, is the empowerment is the feeling that I have. Uh, it's, it's funny. It does bring you that control that, that yeah. most people are looking for. And they, I think sometimes we go about in a, in, in the way that maybe isn't best for us, you know, with that very cognitive mm-hmm. mindset. Um, but in this, in this more empowered way, there's this feeling of, no, I can be light on my feet. I can yeah. um, be flexible. I can change. And and I'm not, you know, the world will not end if I change uh, some of the paradigms that I've been living with. Beautifully said. So <laughs> I, I'm so excited that we were able to have this time. And I know we could probably take any one yeah. of these and like go off. Um, but if people are interested in finding more about the work that you do, where can they go? Sure. So you can find me at Krista Hoppala, and I'm going to spell that K-R-I-S-T-A-H-A-A-P-A-L-A.com. Uh, I also enjoy Instagram. Um, I'm on Instagram at Krista.Writes, W-R-I-T-E, because I'm also an author. And um, you can also find me on Facebook, the same handle, at Krista.Writes. Um, both of those are my um professional pages. And when I say professional, they're, they're pretty much a great hybrid of my life. Um, my professional <laughs> is my personal and my personal yeah. is my professional. So um, that's where folks can find me. Excellent. Yeah. So I will definitely post all of that information in the description. So if people want to see more, yes, she is an author and she has some amazing um, 
work out there. And I'll just leave it at that because I've read some of your work and it's resonates how we really ended up connecting. Um, and yeah, so, uh, definitely check out Krista's, um, stuff and thank you so much for spending this time. And hopefully we can, uh, I'm really curious about relationship design and I think some of my uh, listeners might be interested in that. So maybe we can bring that in, um, in a future, uh, future episode. Oh my gosh. I welcome that. I, that would be fantastic. Um, you know, all of that. We don't, we don't live in a vacuum. We live amidst other human beings. So we can all use a little bit of examination of relationship design and what that means for us. So I welcome that and look forward to that. And this was so much fun. Thank you, Ilya, for having me on your show. Thank you so much. Yay. I look forward to talking again. Absolutely. Take care. Okay. okay. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> thanks for listening to autism in real life this is Ilya walsh and if you like the show please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released i also offer training consultations and parent coaching and would love to help you in any way that i can you can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com and when you join my email list you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.